Hello friends and welcome to Talking Transformative Love, the podcast that talks vocation, love and mission, celebrating the valiant woman that was Mary Ward. Before we get into this episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country, all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people across Australia, paying our deepest respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Today in Ballarat, we have uh, Peter Ford, who is, I say, a philosopher and the head of religious education for over 24 years. Thank you, Peter, for making the time for us and for coming to have this conversation. You're welcome. Thank you. Now, Peter, uh, you were born in Sydney and that's where I'm living at the moment. You travelled around a lot as a child what is the philosophy or belief system that shaped your childhood and continues to form who you are today? So, Joanne, yes, I, well, I was born in Sydney a long, long time ago. Only and, 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. only 20 years ago. <laughs> yes, I would love to be able to say that. But, <laughs> um, I don't have, any, well, obviously any memories because I probably left there, I think, uh, by the time I was I'm thinking about two or three or something like that. So very early and really haven't spent any time in Sydney at all growing mm -hmm. up. It, but yes, I guess to cut a long, sh a long story short around my, my childhood, my dad was in the bank. So uh, yes, every two to three years we moved on, we, uh, and mostly living in regional towns. Yes. So we, um, we moved to places like Tamworth, where I started primary school, uh, went to New Guinea for a few years, um, went to Longreach and Outback Queensland, Ingham in North Queensland, and then um, Shepparton. So just to kind of give you a bit of uh, time and place, really. Yeah. In terms of my growing up, my, um, my mum was Catholic. My dad was Anglican. Um, he wasn't practising. Uh, I went to Catholic primary schools yeah. through those different towns, those regional towns, back through the 60s. But, you know, reflecting on this question, I... I mean, we did all the kind of right Catholic things yeah. in the sense my mum would take us to, I have one sister, took us to mass and so on. But I wouldn't have said that in my childhood, even right through to my teen years, we were a, a traditional Catholic yeah. family or anything like that. It was, it was just something we did. So I wouldn't, I don't really know the answer in terms of yeah. my formation, except to say that I had a good family life, yeah. you know, with great values, great parents and, you know, and lots of adventures, I guess. Yeah. It had its difficulties moving from place to place in terms of friendships and so mm. on, but um, nevertheless, it had its it had its advantages too. Yeah. So I could claim I saw lots of Australia, and you know, as I said, I have um, fond memories of bits of New Guinea, even though I was very young when I was there. But it was, I suppose, when I get to my teen years, I was probably um, say year ten, eleven, twelve. I typically went through that classic. I'm bored at yeah. mass. I, you know, it doesn't mean anything enough, much yeah. to me. All that kind. Of, it's mm. a very typical story, but interestingly, this is possibly where my later story started in terms of faith and and belief. I remember in uh, year eleven when we were living in Shepparton here in Victoria, yeah. that a um, a fellow at school invited me along to a Baptist youth group. Yeah. And so I went along and it, it, it didn't come naturally to me, one, because it was kind of outside of my kind of little world. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a particularly outgoing person, so I didn't socialise that easily. But it, there was something about it that was very nice. Like it was very community oriented. They yeah. did lots of fun things and so on. So like a sense of 
belonging. Yeah, absolutely. There yeah. was a strong sense of belonging. That plays a lot into the future part of my kind of story and development, yes. I think, because I don't remember finding that sense at all within yeah. my Catholic tradition, at least as yeah. I experienced it. And so although I would have said, looking back, you know, that couple of years in that youth group wasn't particularly formative in a religious sense, it did give me a very strong sense of community and yes. it was linked in some way to the Jesus story, which I guess, then I moved on to uni. So I went to Melbourne, Melbourne Uni from Shepparton mm. and I spent four years at St Mary's College, yeah. which of ah, course I yes. knew nothing about Loretto at the time, of course came to know a bit ah. about Loretto and I had... Uh, I remember in those years at St Mary's starting a prayer group, which was very much built around that sense of community and warmth and relaxed kind of nature yeah. and doing some fairly, I don't know, just, I don't remember what kind of prayer we did, but it was, you know, it was very much built around just that very relaxed kind of community fellowship mm. kind of stuff. Uh, it wasn't evangelical. We had no, there was nothing like that uh, related to it. It was just about being together. Anyway, that kind of got going. And I know I became very good friends with Sister Jane Kelly, who was, ah, yeah. who was the principal mm. for most of my time there. And we had lots and lots of wonderful gatherings late at night and, you know, lots of great conversations, not just her and myself, but others, of course, who were, who were part of that kind of prayer group and, and situations. And I got to know a few of the Loretto sisters kind of a bit through that four years. Yes. But I guess... To, and it's there that I, for, and I cannot put my finger on why I took a particular interest in religion and so on. I was studying science. Yeah. And there's some inbuilt part of me that kind of wanted to work out how it all fitted together. Yeah. This took years, I suppose. But, you know, for some reason, I, I'd almost, looking back now, I would say it was almost like a hobby. You know, like yeah. was, I was driven to just try and work out how it all worked. Uh, how religion, how the Christian story, how the Catholic Church, how science all kind of just meshed. Somewhere in my head and heart, I felt that it all had to. I just wasn't quite yeah. sure how. So long story short, I guess I found myself through my 20s and 30s reading hundreds of books, you know, yeah. on every aspect of spirituality. So you were seeking. Absolutely seeking yeah. um, and had formed a lot of stuff in my head around how it all worked. But one of the formative things that happened for me in my 20s I came across a guy called, um, anyway, he was, a, he was a Jesuit priest who, um, who was strong on this idea of unconditional love. Yeah. And um, it really grabbed me what he was saying about this concept of unconditional love, this love that could see no boundaries at all. Yeah. And it's kind of, I would love you even if you were evil kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not based it on has, uh, conditions. No, no, no or, conditions. Or, no. And... It became a bit of a mantra for me right through my early teaching and so on. I used to almost teach classes in it, Unconditional Love, in my yeah. early RE classes. It was, it was amazing. There's a, um, there's a guy um, called Richard Raw. I don't know if you've heard of I know of Richard Raw. But he yeah, always yeah, says, yeah. there is nothing that you can do that can make God love you less That's or more. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's kind of yeah. that kind yeah. of love yeah. where it's not based on yeah. um, on an effort from That's us right. to do That's anything. Right. And the challenge there. and the challenge is that we're 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 invited to to do that as well. Yes. And that's the huge challenge. So, you know, I, I did some study, I did a grad dip RE in the eighties, I kind of came back and did a couple of master's degrees in theology in the late nineties. And what I found by about the year 2000, after I'd done a Master of Philosophy in Theology yeah. and Science, was that 
I had now found a language that I could put on all of this reflection that I'd been doing for nearly, I suppose, 20 20. plus years. Wow. So when did you do that master's? So I did a master's in theology through ACU in about 1998. That was by coursework. And then I went on and did um, a thesis. Yeah. Uh, you know, a 50,000 word thesis. That was on the conversation between evolutionary biology and theology, the notion or understanding of God. Oh, that's amazing. And under Professor Tony Kelly, who was was probably one of the top theologians in Australia at the time, and it was amazing. Like I, you know, I learnt, although it was a very solitary activity, it was one, I would argue now, you kind of look back and go, well, what use is, is that to you in the classroom? And I would have said, well, at the time you wouldn't have thought no use at all. But it became the foundation of so much of what I ended up teaching later in religion and society. But also, as I said, just shaped years of reflection and thought and reading in terms of being able to finally put a language on the notion of the God and and the the kind of combination with science that I I could grapple with for so long. Yes. Mm. But in the end, out of all, what I distill out of all of that, and it had been with me since the very beginning, I guess, through my early 20s, was that in the end, my belief, my faith, is built on a very simple premise. And it's just that vision that Jesus has of the reign of God. That, and for me, it's characterized in five or six very simple things. And that is, it's about unconditional love yes. for all people at all times, yeah. which is unbelievably difficult. It of is. Course. And so yeah. there's the constant challenge, but also one that I would argue, somehow I would argue, roots my life, grounds yeah. my life. Out of that, for me, comes unconditional forgiveness, yes, um, which is also Just, very difficult mm, to do. But nevertheless, absolutely. what I'd call endless hospitality to all, so your friends, family, and strangers. Again, I don't do it particularly well, but it's part of that kind of sense of what we ought to be about. Yeah, peace um, and justice. So those kind of five points form, if you like, the mantra of my life, which is really Jesus's mantra in, in a sense. And in the end, with all, despite all the theology, the thinking and everything else, which is all amazing and wonderful, that, that is my ground and centre, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That's why I can call myself Christian or Catholic, but um, it, it's in that kind of both simple, challenging, global sense yeah. of what it means to be human yeah. and in connection with God. So uh, I try and thread that through my everyday by just trying to live that, you know, failing at it at times, thriving at it and others yeah. and you know that's you know that's the constant journey. human journey isn't it yeah. yeah and and that's that brings me probably through to where i am today and where i, I hope i remain with for the rest of my life not that i have it all sewn up but that no. for me is what grounds me that's my kind yeah. of simple central belief and I, I guess that comes out of a a lifetime journey of seeking and thinking yeah. and reflecting and talking and all of that yeah yeah, yeah. and and um, also evolving and evolving absolutely yes having dipped in and out of belief and and so on many times across those years you know there are times when i would have said i'm not sure i do believe in a god and you know there are times that i was certain of it and there are times the the, the unfailing bit for me which probably evolved from that early baptist group maybe is that somehow the the human jesus the very historical jesus is always there that made sense through yes. whatever questions i had about anything else because that's fact because that's just kind of fact it's historical yeah. it's and what he said you either go well i can live with that or i i can't and i could live with that vision and and that vision constantly grounded me even when i had doubts about the notion of a god that sat yeah. behind it and what yeah. that god was and so on 
but I think now in my 61-year-old mind, I've, for me, I've kind of synthesised it all together. Yeah. Not that I have some kind of perfect kind of understanding. In fact, you just can't. Um, you're, you're always going to be limited by the fact that you're yeah. human. But it's the best I yeah. can do at the moment. So then yeah. when, what would you then say to young people who um, I suppose don't know God on that? Mm. To me, it mm. seems like mm. you know God on a personal level. Well, yes, without being too warm and fuzzy about it, if yeah. that makes sense. You but know? You've, it's like you've yeah, journeed. Yeah. It's, it, you've yes, journeyed that's right. Yes. Deep, somewhere journeyed. deep down, mm. yes, for sure. So um, how, what would you, how, how can mm. young people today access that same experience mm. Mm. Well, with the way the yeah, church is now? That's a really interesting, powerful question. Um, because, you know, one of the first things you note, in the world we live in, there's a lot of bad stuff. Like, there's a lot of horrible stuff yeah. that surrounds us mostly through our news feeds, our social media. And I'm not saying there isn't a lot of brilliant stuff because there actually is. You've got to seek it out, though, I think. Yeah. So it's very hard, it strikes me, to, to kind of find that constant good. Mm. You know, it's, it's absolutely there. But I think we can get drowned in the darkness a little bit. Having said that, I, you know, I think that um, having worked with young people for decades that it is already there. It's a bit like the kingdom of God. It's already yes. there. Yes. You just have to be able to see it and maybe name it. And sometimes it's maybe not even that important to name it. But that if you have the eyes to see that I think it's already there. And it's there in wherever those things exist that I just talked about. So it's where you see that loving kindness. It's where you see that forgiveness, wherever you see that hospitality. And I see that in the students I teach all the yes. time. Now, yeah. I, you know, I... I for better or worse, I've only taught in this one school, really, yeah. apart from my teaching rounds. So it's been a long 40 years, but it's been a wonderful 40 years. And in all that time, I see those elements every single day. Now, those students won't turn around and say, oh, necessarily, that that's God in my life, or that's a Jesus, or the reason I'm that way is because of. But I think it's there. And I think that's the very notion that God is already present. That's that beautiful Ignatian thing that you know, God is already present in all things. Yes. And whether you want to name it as such or recognize it as such is irrelevant in some it ways. It is, yeah. You know, it's, it's, true. All, it's already there. And for those of us who've kind of reached that point where perhaps we, we believe that and we can see it, and sometimes we can name it, you know. Um, so I think that if I was trying to say anything to the young people, I'd say, you know, Find something, and it may take you the years, the same years, you know, it took me years to find that centre or that ground. And that's harder now, I yeah. think, than in the past because there's so many competing oh, ideas, yeah. philosophies, Absolutely. spiritualities, mm. religions, and they all have wonderful things about them. They all, some of them have many not so wonderful things about them. Yes. But it's such a mix that the challenge is to distill and find what is truly good. Yes. And to somehow make it your own and let that then ground and centre you your, yeah. your life. And, and, yeah, and I and, think that's mm, really challenging. And, it is. Yeah, and um, I think young people, although you know, people might say that they're not following a particular faith or mm, religion, mm. I think there are other things that ground them. Mm, you know, like... Mm. Um, their tendency to advocate for climate change. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Th that's that's a way of mm. really saying mm. this is the good that mm. I believe in, mm. and I'm mm. going 
after it. Absolutely. This is what I believe in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's great too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like you. I don't mm. necessarily um, want all you know young people to kind of name it and say mm. it's God. Mm. Mm. Because it is God. Anyway. It is, yes, so, yes, But yes, it's, it's, yeah. it doesn't matter if yeah, it's yeah. named or not. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. about living. Yes, that's uh, right. Living that reality of yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what would be your image of God in one word? Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's your, that's your well, two uh, words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I love, I love Rana's, Karl Rana's yes. kind of um, Great words. Power. Absolute mystery. Yes. But not mystery in the sense of a detective novel. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a mystery to be solved. So much as the completely unknowable, knowable, if that, like it's the, by definition, God is unknowable. All I, I can't sum it up in one word, but that word mystery, and he uses a capital M on it as if it's a noun, for me, sums up the mystery at the heart of all existence that allows it to exist at all. And that intimate presence is something utterly abstract and at other times graspable. But he uses these beautiful images of God's always that receding horizon. Every time you just think you've got God under control, whether it's through words yes. or deeds or anything else, you can be sure you haven't. And that humility of just remembering that every time you think you've got it, and no matter how certain mm -hmm. I might feel as a 61-year-old that I think yeah. I've got it all synthesised, I also know that I completely haven't. Because when you think you've grasped it, the very mystery of whatever this God is will elude us. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Kind of like love. Absolutely. That's, that's right. Yeah. You know, every so time you, I think you, yeah, yeah. you think that yeah. um, you have come to understand mm, love. It's, it's mm. in interesting because we, I mean, I think it, sometimes we use our intellect mm. to understand love mm, mm. Uh, but you know the closer you come to love mm. the less you actually understand love I think so that's um, right yeah, and it's, yeah. for me that's yeah. so when I speak to I'm a teacher as well mm, so when mm. I speak to students about God I always say just imagine love just, mm, you know it's mm. it's something that you can't just mm. comprehend it's mm. not meant to be comprehended no, it's meant no. to be lived no. and I think God is a lived experience mm, mm. Um, it is, um, for sure. And, you know, I've taught religion for all 40 years, but one of the privileges I've had in, in perhaps the last 20 is teaching the VCE subject of religion and society, but which kind of allows you just to step back from the kind of personal stuff for a little bit and just explore the ideas. I make it a kind of a, a thing of mine to begin all my classes with those groups that I've taught to just share where, how I see God and whatever. And for years, I would have said I was afraid to. Like, we, we step back from talking God language often with students yeah. for fear of alienating them from the very class that you're trying to teach. Yes. But I think I've found a way of talking about it about me without being kind of gushy about it that I have found in my experience for many students makes actually good sense to them, but perhaps even more importantly, starts to open up some questions and space for them to... Yeah. Pretty much what I've just shared with you in the last little while, that, that very concept of the reign of God. And if kids say, well, what do you know, what do you think God is? Just like you just did, I would probably explain it very similar and not shy away from the difficult abstract yes. language yeah. and the grappling. Yeah, and let know? them let them come well, to that's terms. Well, that just becomes another conversation in yeah. their journey. It's a conversation yeah. with a teacher at this time, you know, in a long lifetime journey yeah. where they will or won't seek out some yeah. spiritual centre. And, you know, as I said, I think in the end, 
One of the things I remember years and years ago, I, I knew a, a Loretta sister, Therese Daly, yeah. who was kind of famous in her own way. Yeah. She taught at Loretta Ballarat for quite a long time. And I remember her saying on so many occasions, you know, in the end, God will do what God will do. You yes. know, you, we can't do it all. And so we, we need to just trust that. Yeah. God and the Spirit will work. Will work. We yeah. don't have to try. We don't have to solve all the no. problems, or you know, worry too much whether yeah. every student in front of Absolutely. you is going to be Christian mm. or not. I mean, that's not ultimately no. our job or our task. No, and I know? think with teaching, yeah. which we're going to move on to teaching, mm. but mm. with teaching, it's not a orchestrated no, uh, no, no. experience. Mm. It's actually, mm. for me, when I think of teaching, is you you open up the um, the stage. And let it play out. Mm, it's mm. not we can't orchestrate anything. No, um, but no. when I was having a conversation with you on the phone, you said you believe that teaching is opening up students' minds to all the possibilities of the world. It's always opening up and inviting into the process. And I love that. And that's I think I'll, I'll keep this quote forever. <laughs> but tell us about that. What made you say those words? You could be forgiven for thinking that teachers, uh, teaching is almost the opposite of that, I think, these days. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, you, you get buried in criteria and, um, you know, evidence-based teaching and, you know, and, you know all the content that uh, gets piled on into our kind of curricula. And all of that's important. So, you know, what I'm about to say doesn't discredit any of that. But you could be forgiven for thinking that's all it is, yeah. you know, that kind of filling the empty vessel kind of vision. But, um, but you know, the, the root word, which I've always loved of education, educare, I think it's, you know, pronounced, but is literally to open up, to lead out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just about to train in content and skills and, and so on. And I think that true education has to do that. I mean, you know, content is forgotten. You know, skills will not be practiced in the end. I mean, anything that we need to learn these days is well understood that we can learn on the job pretty yes. much. I mean, mm. you need to have enough content as a foundation to understanding the world that we live in and how we might interact with it. But in the end, I think if you can, um, you can open up kids' minds to the possibilities of what the world offers and how you can operate in it and to trust at least to some degree as a teenager that you've got enough critical thinking skills and enough yes. intelligence mm. as a human being to face whatever mm. is thrown at you, that becomes a lifelong process. It doesn't matter what scenario you find yourself in, what job you find yourself in, to trust that you've, you've got that ability as a human being to be open to whatever comes. And to me that feeds also into that this whole notion at the moment of building resilience, you know, in the face of a world that creates enormous yeah. anxiety and so on, you know, and that's no easy task, but to trust in the fact that you can be a problem solver, a critical thinker, uh, you can be collaborative, you don't have to do it all yourself, you know. Yeah. To me, that's the depth of education. And, you know, in an ideal world, I think that that's, we, we shouldn't forget that as yes. teachers, mm. education, uh, educationalists, as schools, and the best schools, of course, never forget that. And, yeah. you know, but sometimes it feels lost in the daily yeah. bits and pieces. So, yeah, so, that's what so I what, think. So what, what would you say then your, um, because this podcast is on, obviously we began this podcast journey being about vocations. Mm, uh, mm. And we actually named it mm, Talking Transformative mm, Love. Mm. And we've asked a number of people about what that means to them. Mm, mm. I would you be able to tell us a little about 
transformative love and I suppose your experience of could be experience of teaching or your experience of God or crikey that's a big question yeah. <laughs> transformative love well it, it goes back to I guess that notion of unconditional love and the idea that if you truly love someone without conditions and it doesn't matter whether it's you know a family member or a friend or a stranger or a student or another colleague or whatever that is always focused on the other person yes mm. and that if you love that way and not expect anything back that it's not about changing them it's not about any particular thing about them it's it's a it's a kind of a deep care for who that person is and their well-being and their potential and all of that then i believe that that process to some degree will transform the other person as i would hope to be transformed mm, by others who love yes. me unconditionally that allows me to be me yeah to have enough faith in myself to to do whatever i do with life in that sense i think love is transformative and i think that's what we see in all the gospel stories i think that's how jesus changes lives not through some i mean that's the miracle not yeah. not the supernatural Absolutely. stuff it's the yeah. I will love you no matter what. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, yeah. you know, and so on. I just love you. And that is freeing. Yeah, yeah. And that free, that freedom to be is what at least feeds into the journey yeah. that may transform you into mm. whatever your future holds. Yeah. yeah. So some of the things that maybe make you free and give you energy is um, cycling and the bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Tell us about well, they're not the only things, of course. I mean, obviously my family, you know, yeah. my, my wife, my kids, um, of course, are my first and foremost kind of thing that give me energy and, and allow me to be who I am. In terms of my own personal recreational downtime, yeah. you know, absolutely. I love anything to do with uh, the bush, nature, give me a mountaintop any day kind of yes. thing or a beautiful creek or, a, I don't know, a gorgeous green field. I happen to, in, perhaps in the last 10 years or so, taken up, retaken up cycling as a form of health and fitness but I've discovered like often what you do in these situations is you you head out and, and living in Ballarat it's beautiful yeah. you can ride amongst the farmland the bush and so on I get my bike and go into the bush like I did yesterday and it doesn't matter how windy or rainy or whatever it is my eyes just become open to just the fact that it's just me and the trees and yeah. the mush and the mud. I wish I felt like that. You know, yeah, 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 <laughs> that's right. I, I just feel cold. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are those days too, absolutely. But, you know, and of course we have our beautiful warm days as well. And I'm sure they'll come eventually. But, you know, and on those days it's sublime. I mean, I often catch myself by myself riding my bike and going, wow, or just sitting back thinking that is that particular moment is sublime. It might be riding early in the morning when a shaft of sunlight comes down through the trees as the sun is kind of starting to rise and it's just and the cobwebs are glistening in the in the morning with the yeah. morning dew and you just kind of you sold if us you Ballarat. see it you go wow like it's you, just you, you sold yeah. us Ballarat. I wish yeah that's right. But yeah no that, that feeds my soul and um, yeah. you know and not that I would call myself a big bushwalker but whenever I do I, I just the Grampians you know, any anywhere like that where there's kind of a raw beauty, I just love. You know, yes. it just I just thrive on it. Yeah. I don't do it often enough, but I uh, whenever I do do it, it feeds my soul. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there's things like that. I I love listening to music, and as most people probably won't recognise, I actually listen to a lot of rock music. It's actually the yeah. antithesis of what people possibly see me <laughs> as. But um, 
I'm a, I'm a guitarist, I, I, I play guitar, I, I love rock energetic music. Yeah, I listen to that, you know, all the time. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. The, the final question yeah. that we want to ask is one that we ask all of our guests, and that's uh, on Mary Ward, uh, because we need to talk about Mary Ward mm, at some mm. point. Um, <laughs> and Mary Ward says, let your vocation be constant, efficacious and affectionate. What does that mean 400 mm. years on? Mm. Um, although you've really answered a lot of parts of this questions, that's this question, but what, what would you say about you're, you're right, and in some ways that quote kind of ties together what I've been talking about today. Um, and it's a funny little quote. I mean, I've heard it for yeah. 40 years <laughs> teaching at Loretto. And I've got to say, you know, I've never sat back and given it a lot of thought, even though it's one of those quotes that just sits very comfortably with you. And on one level, it sounds very fluffy and warm and fuzzy. But when you look into it, it's actually a really challenging, biting quote. Mm -hmm. And I suspect Mary Ward knew that very well, because, you know, that constancy to be, you know, your vocation that I'm just going to premise what I'm going to say to finish up here. Only a few weeks ago, I came across a quote by Aristotle yeah. about vocation, you know, which is more than just that job. And he, he said something like, your vocation is where the needs of the world meet your own skills and potential, yeah. and there you will find your vocation. In other words, what you have to offer and where they match the needs of the world, when those two come together, there's, your invocation. Your call, yeah. And that, of course, could occur in multiple different scenarios through your life. It doesn't have to be a single vocation. But that constant constancy for me is what I talked about earlier, about the grounding, your belief that grounds you in whatever yes. you find yourself doing. You know, for me, it's that kingdom of God stuff. Efficacious is a weird word, isn't it? But in the, in the end, it just means be effective. Yes. You know, whatever you're doing, there's no point in doing it just to do it. So find a way of being the most effective you can uh, in whatever it is that you're doing to help the needs of the world. Yes. Um, so always be thinking and innovating and creating to find the most effective way. And in teaching, you know, that, that good teachers do that all the time. Yeah. And affectionate is such a soft, cute word. <laughs> but for me, of course, that's the unconditional love. You know, uh, I'm sure Mary Ward meant that's like that kind of loving gentle kindness with her group of friends, but even with those who aren't your friends, be affectionate, be kind, be loving, uh, focus on them rather than yourself. And if you do all those three things, then you know, you are possibly, I'm guessing Mary Ward kind of meant that you will be living the best life that you, you can mm. and meeting the needs of the world at the same time, wherever that is for you. Yeah, yeah. discovering your vocation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and, it, and sometimes you don't discover no. it till you're well into a job, you know, mm. uh, a career or whatever. Whether your career or job becomes a vocation is an interesting question, you know. Yeah. And maybe that's what people are searching for is something that gives meaning and purpose to their lives, yes. not just something that brings in the money and sustains yeah. us in our everyday living. So, yeah, you've got to find something that gives you that meaning and purpose. And generally that's something that where you're helping somebody else, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Peter. It's been oh. amazing to have you on this. I think we might need a part two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joanne. I've really enjoyed great. it. It's and, uh, been great chatting with you. And I promise I'll look at Ballarat in a different <laughs> way after so this you should, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so Somewhere much. Somewhere in about November in the future. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank pleasure. you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the journey with us. 
This podcast was developed for Loretto Vocations Week. We want to continue the conversation, so we hope to see you at the next episode.